you'll take your Bible and you open them to Psalm 59. It's on page 417 in the Pewback Bible. I encourage you to turn there. Psalm 59. Have you ever been under attack? Or maybe just, have you ever felt like someone's out to get you? Maybe at home, or in your family, at work, or in a particular group that you're in or a part of? Under the pressure of strained relationships, it's easy for us to begin to panic. Our stomachs churn, our pulses rise, our adrenaline flows. And sometimes the threats that we perceive and the danger that we feel aren't real. They're imaginary fears that aren't really based on reality, even though they take a real toll on us. But other times, the more we dig to find the root of the issue, the deeper and wider we have to go. So that before you know it, we're leaning on our shovels, looking at six-foot walls all around us. We're in over our heads, and we're helpless to get out. In those moments, how do you typically respond? What's your first impulse? Or maybe a better question, how should you respond? Well, in Psalm 59, David shows us how we should respond. The inspired introduction of this psalm links these words with a specific moment in the life of David. It springs up out of the events of 1 Samuel 19, which we looked at a couple weeks ago after Saul had attempted to murder David again, but David had escaped to his house. And remember, just to add to the complexity and the hurtfulness of this situation, Saul was David's father-in-law by this point. And 1 Samuel 19.11 says, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. And David was informed of their plan by his wife, Michael, who told him plainly that if he didn't get out that night, then he'd be dead in the morning. And death is literally knocking at David's door. The closer it gets to the end of the night, the closer David gets to the end of his life. And with the life and death urgency of this moment, what would you be doing to prepare for your escape? Maybe planning out your route? Preparing your weapons? Securing your provisions? What about, I don't know, sitting down and writing a song? That's probably the last thing any of us would think to do if the king had sent men to kill us. But that's exactly what the anointed king-to-be, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God that filled him, does. And now before we read this psalm, it's important that we understand the significance of the psalms. Psalms is the largest book in all the Bible. It was the hymnal of God's Old Covenant people. These 150 psalms are a mixture of songs and prayers that in song form to to God to be lifted up by all God's people. 
And that is to say, these aren't merely historical documents intended to be discussed like poems in a world lit class. These aren't pages lifted from great men's diaries that were never intended to become public. These songs were intended to be used in the corporate life and private lives of God's people. And so while it's safe to say that most of us will never have a king for a family member who's trying to kill us, this song is still our song. If David was able to write these words under that level of threat, then all the lesser threats that we face are covered too. Ultimately, David wrote this song under the threat of death because he believed two things. That God was in control and that he loved him. And friends, regardless of what you're going through, the same is still true today if you're in Christ. And so with that in mind, before we read this psalm, let's ask the Lord to help us embrace these words as our own through Christ. Father, would you do just that? As we are confronted even now, as the movie plays of the things that are facing us, that we faced in the past, and that we know without any shadow of doubt will face us in the future, help us to see your control and your love. Help us to see what you have done in Christ. And help us to see the right perspective in that moment to come to you in our time of need with the confidence of your deliverance. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's read this psalm in its entirety together. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Selah. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips. For who, they think, will hear us? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God in His steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. 
the God who shows me steadfast love. First, this psalm teaches us that because the Lord is in control and He loves us, we should take Him our problems. We should take Him our problems. With his life on the line, David writes these lines. He doesn't go to the police or his gun cabinet or his phone. He goes to God. These words flow out of his relationship with the Lord. He goes to God when he's under attack because he recognizes that only God can deliver him from his attackers. In this moment, Saul, who happened to be the king of Israel, and his henchmen were proving themselves to be his henchmen, or to be his enemies. They were a part of the same covenant community. They were on, we might say, the same team. And yet... They were coming against David, the Lord's anointed to be. But David understood that his current personal problem was just one example in the history of God's people. All of us have problems. All of us have enemies. And they may look different from person to person and and change at different points in our lives, but we all have them. And most of us have never experienced death threats. But we have experienced angst and animosity from others. We know what strife and drama look like up close. And in that way, with David, we have a certain camaraderie in our problems. And David knew that the same God who delivered the nation from a giant of a problem named Goliath would deliver him out of his problem as well. Now some of us are quick to believe that the Lord will see the church, the corporate people of God through her problems, but we're slow to believe that He'll do the same for us as individuals. But not David. David believed both with a passion. And that's why in verse 1, he speaks of his enemies and his God And in verse 5, he speaks of the nation's enemies and the nation's God. It's not either or, it's both and. And in fact, David draws strength from the reminder that the Lord isn't just going to deal with individuals attacking him, but with all the nations. The same God who delivered Israel and judged Egypt with incredible signs and wonders. The same God who delivered the promised land to Israel by driving out the occupying nations. Well, He was still on the throne. And He would deal with all His people's little problems too. And because of what He had done, David was confident of what He would do. In this particular incident, David hadn't done anything wrong. People like Michael and Jonathan and even Samuel had confirmed his innocence as he had gone to them. And that's why he was able to go to the Lord in good faith and ask for justice. He's asking God to judge between him and them. They'd come like assassins cloaked in darkness, but David is pleading for the God of light to see what's happening. The men sent to kill David hadn't done it yet, but they had murdered him in the thoughts and intentions of their hearts. 
That's what's revealed by them wielding their words like swords in verse 7. But the Lord knew. You see, like, unlike all other gods, which are false gods, the one true God doesn't need to be awakened because He never sleeps. He doesn't need to go anywhere because He is everywhere. He doesn't need to open His eyes because He sees everything. Now David knew that or else he wouldn't be taking his problems to this God. But when he wrote this, he was still waiting for the Lord to act. Don't we know that when we're in the middle of a vice, relief can't come soon enough? And hence the urgency of his appeals for the Lord's intervention. Now some of us might feel uncomfortable, at least initially, with David's plea that none who plot evil be spared, but we shouldn't. David is appealing to the Lord to act. He's going to Him for justice. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. He doesn't ask the Lord to punish them more than they deserve. It's right that those who are guilty should be brought to justice. And this isn't mainly about David's reputation. And their slander and plotting ultimately point back to their pride of unbelief. They feel unaccountable, unchallenged, because they've forgotten the God who hears and sees everything. If they were aware of the day that they'd stand before Him in judgment, they would tremble. And now notice, in David's situation, and often in ours, the ones who are out to get us seem to have all the power, all the control. It can feel like they'll be the ones that determine the outcome. They had the king's authority. They had the arsenal, the manpower. But what they lacked, David had. And it made all the difference. David had the Lord on his side. Because David was on the Lord's side. And so that's where he went in his time of need. He took the Lord his problems because he believed that he was in control and that he loved him. So what about you, friend? Where do you take your problems? Maybe to the bar for a few drinks after a long day or a long week? To the couch for some mind-numbing entertainment? To the freezer for your favorite ice cream? What about who? Who do you take your problems to? To another coworker to return fire about how mismanaged your branch is? To social media to spread your own version of what happened? To whoever will let you vent without any pushback? Or maybe you don't take your problems to anyone because you keep them all for yourself. You act like you don't need any help. You'll figure out a way to undermine them and rally support for you by your own cunning. You don't need God. But at the end of the day, we know, don't we, that none of those answers are right. The only deliverer, protector, and Savior who is able to truly see us through is the Lord. 
He knows what we're going through better than we even do. And in fact, he's ultimately the one who's allowed it into our lives. But not because of the reasons we often fear. That he wants to ruin our lives. Or pay us back for something we've done in the past. On the authority of God's Word, Christian, He's brought these things into our lives so that we'll take them to Him and He'll redeem it for our good and His glory. Because God is in control and He loves us, we should take Him all our problems. And next we see from this psalm that because the Lord is in control and He loves us, we should trust Him for salvation. Trust Him for salvation. Verse 8 makes it clear that the Lord hears the howling of David's attackers. He knows about their conniving. And He laughs at them. Not because it's funny, but because He's not threatened. He's not challenged. They're ridiculously ignorant to think that they can mock God and get away with it. They think they have power and control. They think they'll be able to get away with it. They think no one will ever know. No one will hold us accountable. But they're wrong. If we're confident from Scripture that the Lord is going to hold the nations accountable, then we should be equally confident that He's going to hold every individual accountable. And that includes the ones who wrong us. So that we can surrender judgment to Him. We can surrender vengeance to Him. We don't have to be the ones to secure it. He will secure it. We'll just mess it up if we try to step in in our own mixed sinful hearts with motives that are often twisted. The God who rules over all the nations is able to handle all of our gnats. And that's why, while these men are watching David's house, David is watching for the Lord. He's the one who will not only give him strength to face this trial, but he'll give him protection and keep him safe through this trial. God is our strength, church. And David, like us, is weak in the sense that he's helpless. He's facing death. He's unable to deliver himself. They've blocked the exits. But since God is all-powerful, he knew God would make a way. And David didn't know how, but he did know for certain that God's love would find him and give him the victory over his enemies. You see, God's love for his people is a covenant love a steadfast love that is it's constant God could no sooner break his love and commitment to his people than he could change his character and God does not change he will fulfill his promises to his people which includes victory over our enemies even though it might not come from an earthly perspective. Even though our enemies may kill us as they have martyrs 
throughout the centuries. He has still given us victory through Christ. Now our initial response might to be assumed uh, to assume that this was uniquely true for David. He was, after all, the, the one that God had chosen to be the next king. But again, the reason that this psalm is included in these psalms is because of the way that this principle applies to all of God's people. In fact, that seems to be the point behind verse 11. David wanted the Lord to give justice, but in a way that would not be quickly forgotten. He wanted the memory of how God dealt with these enemies to make an impression on the people. He wanted this legacy to stand the test of time so that when anyone else came against them, they wouldn't lose heart. And our remembering it today, even as we've read and are now talking about it, is testimony that God answered David's request. We too should trust God for salvation because He's proven time and time again that He is in control. And the repeated refrain in verse 6 and verse 14 lets us know that David's circumstances still hadn't changed. His adversaries hadn't instantly vanished as soon as he prayed for help, like we think they should. They were still out there prowling around. But even though their presence remained unchanged, so had David's life. What I mean is, they still hadn't gotten him. David was still alive. These dogs' bellies were still empty. God had kept them at bay and preserved David's life, and he would ultimately deliver him from this trouble. Sometimes that's all the encouragement we can get in the moment. Or just say, well, I'm still here. And to say that ultimately is a sign of God's kindness to us and sustaining us. Now eventually, in this specific situation, word would get out that Saul's goons had been duped by a makeshift mannequin in David's bed. And for everyone to see the futility of opposing God would give them a good laugh. It might not have been the way that David wanted or expected as he's let down a, presumably from a window. But God had worked David's salvation. But how can we knew, know that He'll do the same for us? Why should we trust God for salvation from all of our problems? From every enemy that we face? We find the answer in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, we've all made ourselves enemies of God. He's the one who created us to know Him. And we've rebelled against Him by not trusting Him. We've all decided in our pride that we're our own judge and jury. We've lived like we know what's best for us and tried to fend for ourselves. We might not have pulled the trigger, but we've murdered people in our heart with our anger. We've gossiped and slandered and lied about others because we thought that's how we should deal with our problems or else no one else would. But ultimately, whenever we've sinned against others, we've sinned against God too. And because of our sin, we deserve His just wrath forever. 
But instead of immediately wiping us off the face of the earth, God showed us the kindness of patience. He kept us alive to give us time for repentance. And not only that, but He sent His Son Jesus from heaven to become a man. And David may have been blameless in this particular moment, but we know he is going to sin royally in the future. But not so with Jesus. Jesus wasn't just blameless in a moment of his life. He was perfect, righteous, and pure his entire life. And yet, instead of what we might expect, he was hated and harassed by some of the very people who claimed to be on his side. Enemies from within his own people and enemies from the nations gathered together against him under the behest of his greatest enemy, the evil one. They murdered the only fully innocent person ever to live. But Jesus didn't attempt to escape death at the hands of these evil men. He chose death in order to give his enemies life. He prayed to the one who was able to save him from death. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And he was heard by his Father. He was delivered from death. He did not see corruption, but instead was raised from the dead on the third day, never to die again. You see, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are how we today can know God will ultimately deliver us from every trial we face. That there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God for us in Christ. When we believe in Jesus, our sins are washed clean, friends. Our relationship with God is restored. Our hope of eternal life is secured. So that from that moment on, nothing can separate us from God. No trial, no enemy, no threat. And Christ Himself becomes our shield. And just think about that. How do you use a shield in warfare? Well, you use it to shield you from the blows that were meant for you. And in that way, as our substitute, the blows that were meant for us have fallen on Christ. And He bears us safely through. He protects us from our greatest enemies, our own sin and Satan. He has taken on Himself the wrath that we deserved and has now given us life in Him. If you're here and you're not trusting in Jesus for your salvation, this protection is offered to you this morning. If you will repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, you may feel like you've been able to manage all of the problems and difficulties you've faced so far. I'm I'm doing very well, thank you, you might think. But one day, you will face an enemy that you will not be able to crack. And that enemy is called death. 
And death is a reminder that we're all sinners. And our sins remind us that we need a Savior in order to be brought into the holy presence of God. And that Savior has come. He stands ready to save you if you will call out to Him as David does in faith. He will protect you. He will deliver you from your enemies. And He will give you life. And if you'd like to talk to someone more about this, I'd be glad to talk to you, either during our last song or at the end of this service or at some other time that's more convenient for you. But look to Christ and find this protection. Now church, because God is in control and He loves us, which hopefully you understand that if either one of those components isn't there, it's bad news for us. If He's in control but He doesn't love us, that's bad news. If he's not in control, but he loves us, well then, that's not much comfort either as we're facing difficulties. We need both. And because both are true, we have every reason to take him our problems and trust him for our salvation. But specifically from this psalm, we also see that we should testify to his greatness. We should testify to his greatness. David's circumstances, again, they haven't changed by verse 16. But since the Lord cares for him, he's committed to sing to him. Regardless of the way things appear, David chose to respond with singing. His enemies snarled with all kinds of wicked things against him. But David sang God's praises. He was committed, even before his situation changed, to give glory to the Lord for who he is and what he's done. And just as a side note, he says, I'm not going to mumble or whisper. He's going to sing aloud. His love is worth singing about because God's love has saved David's life and for us in Christ, our lives. And not just now but forever. And did you notice when David says he's going to sing about it, the timing of it? In the morning is when he says he's going to sing about it. Now, if you're following the flow of the context, and if you couple this up with 1 Samuel 19, what was supposed to happen to him in the morning? They're waiting, prowling around in the darkness of night, waiting around to kill him. Michael has told him if he doesn't get out by morning, he's going to die. But what does he say? I will sing in the morning. Praises to God. That is to say, the Lord has brought him through. He was confident that the Lord would cause him to see another day. The singing in the morning means David knew that he'd made it through. Why? Because the Lord is his fortress. He is his refuge. He would shelter him when he had nowhere else to go. He's calm in the chaos because he's confident in the Lord as his surety in the midst of uncertainty. Now friend, if you are in Christ, you have that. Whether or not you always feel that, that's not the question I'm answering. You have that in Christ. It doesn't matter what you're facing today. The reality is we will all one day die and we will step into the day. We will walk into the light of glorious day that never runs out. 
We will be in the presence of Almighty God forever, regardless of what happens this day if our faith is in Him. But the sad reality is, with the temptation of our sin and the evil one, we tend to misplace our confidence. We place it other than where it should go, in things that can change in ourselves, in our circumstances. Instead of remembering that because of what cannot be changed, in the midst of all of our changing circumstances, we have the confidence of deliverance, of salvation, and we have reason to sing His praises. As part of what we're doing together as we sing as a church, we're joining our voices together to proclaim to God and to one another the truths that we hold dear. This is part of why we sing older songs, maybe older than you even like, because we're reminding ourselves that we are joining with God's people through the ages, even as Psalm 59 was sung by God's people years after the fact, that as God has been faithful to those who have gone before us, we know that in Christ He will be faithful to deliver us even today. Our world, from our perspective, might be changing. Our lives are uncertain. But at the end of the day, we have confidence that we will wake up into the morning of God's glory where we will forever sing His praises. So then, friend, let me plead with you. Don't try to handle your problems the way your sin, our world, Our culture encourages you to. Let's imitate David's faith in God to let Him be our first response in the moment of calamity and trial. To take Him the rumblings of our hearts, the the questions we have about how everything's going to work out because He can see us through. Because He has seen His Son through the wrath and death that He bore on the cross to the empty tomb of the resurrection. And we now will see that same deliverance because our faith is in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the Gospel. Thank You that because Christ has dealt with our greatest sins that we have, and, and problems, that we have the confidence that He will also do the same with every lesser problem we face. Father, they're real to us. They burden us they weigh heavy upon us but we thank you that when we come to christ we find a yoke that's easy a burden that's light we find rest for our weary souls and we pray that we would take great confidence in what he has done on our behalf we ask it in christ's name amen